Our guest preacher this morning is Johnny Radcliffe. The name may sound familiar. He is Brian Radcliffe's cousin's kid. So the easy way, um, yeah. So we say same Radcliffe tree, different branch. Um, I wanna make sure I said that right, because she laughed, I'm like, wait, did I mess that up? Um, he was back there. Oh, I'm like, I'm looking for you back there. I'm like, the bald spot, I'm like, um, he's a youth pastor at Renew Community in Lansdale and works with National Network of Youth Ministries, fostering relationships between uh, youth groups and uh, leadership development for youth leaders. Uh, welcome, Johnny, and may God bless you as you bring his word. You get that one. I get this one. All right. Thank you. That was awesome. Fist bump. There we go. Uh, well, good morning, ladies. It's good to finally be here. I've been looking forward to it for a long time. Uh, in fact, this isn't my first time speaking with you all. I had the privilege of speaking in the youth group back in the fall. All right, teens, wave at me if you were there when I was there. Ready? Wave at me. See, I got to meet a, lovely, a lot of these lovely faces here. Ah, oh, Brian was there too. Nice. Uh, so, but we played this game. Help me out with the name, okay? It was something about like, not me, sir, something like that. What's it called? Shout it out. Oh my goodness. All right, I'm having flashbacks because I was terrible at it and you guys were dialed in. That was awesome. Uh, well, it's good to be back here. And uh, I tell you what, uh, before we jump in, I do want to just, uh, just share a little bit about myself. Uh, my name is Johnny. Last name's Radcliffe, the other Radcliffes, and uh, it's, I've been in this area for just about my whole life, and uh, I've been able to do ministry among the people that uh, I was born into. Uh, so I've been in youth ministry for 15 years. I'm with the National Network of Youth Ministries uh, that brings leaders together for leadership development and to make sure everyone's being supported as they go through. But I also want to show a picture of my family. We actually got a family picture because Christmas. Uh, that's my squad up there. I have four kids with a wife of 15 years. I paused too long there. Sorry about that. It has been 15 years. Uh, my oldest is in the middle, Lael. She's the firstborn. She's the truther of the family. Maybe you have a firstborn in a similar fashion. My son is the secondborn. He is, he's my wild child. I love it. Thirdborn is Eliza, and then a toddler to boot. So that's just a quick look at who we are. Uh, but it's great to be here opening up the book of Philippians with you. Now, I got to say, I'd venture to say there are about two types of people in the world. There are planners, then there are people who marry planners. Am I right? Raise your hand if you're the planner, whether marriage or not. You are a planner through and through. Raise your hand if you're with me and that's not your greatest strength. We have other strengths. We'd like to go with the flow, right? Like, there's no harm in that. Now listen, today we're talking about the plan. Maybe you've had a plan in life where it was mapped out and it was beautiful and it was brilliant. Maybe you've even put it in a binder, been like, all right, this is the plan. This is how I'm going to get through, get to college. Maybe the plan is this is how I'm going to retire at a certain age. This is what my family's going to look like. We make all of these plans and we chart them down in our plan book. 
and they're good, right? Raise your hand, ladies, if when you got married, you had a binder full of all the details. Anyone? Listen, okay, I see a couple people there. I, when my house is like excavated by archaeologists, they're going to find my wife's binder and be like, wow, this lady was organized. Because uh, there are planners in the world. And even though I may not be a like day-to-day planner, everything has to go right, I am a planner when it comes to the big picture. You see, when I was in ninth grade, I knew for a fact I was going to be a history teacher. And I was talking to some of my friends about it at lunch, and they're like, whatever, dude. And I'm just like, what? And they're like, everyone thinks they're going to be something, and they go to college, and they become something different. And I was like, well, that's not going to be me. I'm actually going to do this. And they're like, no, you won't. And we'll check back. I get to college, and can I tell you, I had a plan. It wasn't like a physical printed thing, but it was an Excel document of all the courses I needed to take to finish college in three years to graduate to be a history teacher. Folks, it was immaculate, okay? As a freshman, I really didn't know what I was doing, but it was actually there for the taking. So the first summer after my first year, I start to take a practicum. All the educators in the room know that you have to observe a class. And I started to observe a class. And there's this problem. I started to doze off during the classes. It was really weird. I took it very seriously. I wore a shirt and tie. I got there. I had my Wawa coffee. I was ready to go. But for whatever reason, it was a fight to stay awake. I've never experienced this before. I was very professional. I was ready to go. It turns out that it was such a problem that the people at the school asked me to not come back. And I could not finish my practicum. And then only a few short months later, I found out I had a thyroid disorder that makes you very sleepy. God tanked my dreams with a bum thyroid. But I remember being at this point where I was just like, I can't even pass the practicum. How am I going to reach the end? Do you know what was really happening? The fear set in because the plan was disrupted. I checked the binder. Thyroid disease wasn't in there. Failing a practicum wasn't in there. And for that summer, I felt quite lost. Maybe you can relate. What we're here to talk about today is what do we do when life doesn't go according to the binder? When the plan gets pulled out from under your feet. Now, before we jump into the book of Philippians, I do want to do a little bit of background on it. And I love maps. I know everyone here does too, but let's put this map up here. I want to show you some of the towns. You may say like, hey, Galatians is a book in the Bible. We have Ephesians, Colossians. Absolutely. So just like up here, you're going to see Philippi up there. The book of Philippians is written to those people in ancient Greece. Paul spent time there. And after he left a place, he would often write a letter back to see how things are going. You can see how all over here in Turkey right there where Asia Minor is. These are the areas that Paul largely ministered to. And I want to show you a a picture of what ancient Philippi looked like. If we go to the next picture, 
Take a look at this. Looks pretty gorgeous, right? You have the hillside there. You have a wall that goes around. You have a river flowing near it. And if you can see kind of towards the bottom right there, you see this this amazing Colosseum right there. This was a state-of-the-art place for the arts to take place. In fact, you can go there today and see what remains of this thriving town. The rich people lived on top of the hill. The less rich people lived in the bottom. But this is what remains. And as Paul is writing this, he is under house arrest. He's about to write his final letters to people he loved. And just 10 years before, he remembers being amongst these people. If you've read the book of Philippians, you know that Paul kind of had favorites. And it was the Philippians. Like the Corinthians, he kind of yelled at a lot. But when it came to the Philippians, his heart gushed for them. So when we read this passage, there's a lot of love. A lot of talk of how to keep your joy. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read it, but I want to do this. I want to talk about Philippians 4.13. Maybe this, because I would say that the verse before it, uh, two verses before it, is actually more mind-boggling than that. Maybe Philippians 4.13 was like your, your motto for your team sport. I hope I don't pop that bubble or make you take down your uh, decoration on the wall. But let's look at this. I'm going to read it again. It says, I rejoice greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I am speaking of being in need, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Woof. Let me say that again. I have learned in whatever situation I'm in, whatever situation... To be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. Abundance and need. Did you know these verses inform Philippians 4.13. This verse isn't talking about how you can do whatever you put your mind to. Philippians 4.13 is talking about how you can endure tough things. Changes it a little bit. It says... I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share in your trouble. You see, while Paul was on house arrest, you had to provide your own sustenance. A Roman citizen would get a small stipend for clothes, for food, things like that. And Paul was a Roman citizen. But you weren't thriving. The guy was on house arrest. People were leaving him left and right. Some people stuck with him. And in all of this, as he sits down, he says, I'm content. House arrest. Not able to provide fully for himself. Not able to go places. And he says, I'm content. Folks, the bottom line is that Paul was in need. And instead of him sitting there saying, God, this wasn't the plan. This isn't what I signed up for. He said, God, if this is what you have, I'm here for it. I bet when Paul was uh, checking the binder, this isn't exactly what he planned for. In fact, I want to show you what he probably had in his plans. 
Number one, encounter with Jesus. Check. We know that happened, right? Number two, plant churches everywhere. That was his hope. Number three, maybe avoid prison. You know, a little, little less to do. Number four, have Gentiles become super disciples. Step five, global revival breaks out. Then step six, die peacefully in your sleep at the age of 90. I bet that was a better plan for Paul. Can I tell you what the plan actually was and what came down the pike? Second Corinthians shows us 195 times a whip came across the back of his body. Three times he was beaten with rods. Survived multiple stonings. Was imprisoned multiple times. Oh, and it gets better. Even nature is against him, right? He's going along three times shipwrecked. I want you to slow down and think about that for a second. Three times shipwrecked. Faced cold and starvation. And after all of this, as he's sitting there, he says, you know what? I'm content. It's confounding that Paul would sit here after experiencing all of this, how his plans didn't come the way he wanted to. But he says, I'm doing all right. I have no needs. You see, Paul learned this word. The word I'm going to share with you is divine sufficiency. I can't even say it. Probably shouldn't type it, right? Divine sufficiency. What this is, is this is a word that uh, Walvert and Zook point out, is that this is the only time this Greek word is used, content. And it's when you are depending on the divine. When you are depending on God, that is your hope through whatever the circumstance. Divine sufficiency. So that leads me to just ponder amongst myself. This passage has really just messed with my head for a while. If you were to fill in this blank, I want you to do it. Even, you know what? I'll even allow talking during a sermon. That's okay. If you have someone you're sitting next to, family, friend, whatever it is, you can actually share this. If you were to fill in this blank, man, if only I had blank. Fill it in. What is this thing in your life that you feel might be missing? Think about it before we move on. Some of you, well, let's be real. It's usually tied to resources, right? Man, if my job would just pay me $10,000 more a year. That would make life a lot better for breathing room. Man, if we could get a bigger house and just have less congestion all over. Teens, maybe for you, it's, man, if only I could make this, this one team or, you know, if I could do this one thing to really build the college resume, then like, man, this would really put me in a good position. Maybe it's in relationship. Man, if only this one kid of mine would stop making dumb decisions. No parent has ever felt that, right? There's usually something in our life that if we were to point to, it's a source that can rob us of joy. Even in ministry, we do this. Man, if only we had more people willing to serve. Man, if only blank. You fill it in. You can go 
all different directions. But as we focus on this blank, the thing that is that blank, there's a great chance that it will rob your joy, leading you to a divine sufficiency deficiency. Isn't that fun? You don't have to write that down. Divine sufficiency deficiency. Even in my own world, I think through this. I feel like I have more kids than I have square footage. Can I be real with you for a second? We have six of us living in our house, and there are times where you you go to someone else's house, and you're like, man, they have less kids than me. And look, their house, there's like a room for every kid. We're like, oh, man, like they walk into their house, and there's like an actual living space here. How do they do it? Sometimes I go through and compare to myself just like, man, like, why, why does adulting look easier for some people than it does for me? But then these things just kind of poke at you. They can steal your joy. The ultimate question comes down to this. What we're really asking in those moments is will God really come through for me? Will God really come through for me? Is he enough Will he provide? Will I be happy in this situation I find myself? Will he actually come through? If I don't get into my plan A school, if I'm single longer than I really want to be and maybe stuck there forever, If I don't reach my academic goal in high school, will I be able to have a good job? Will God be able to provide for me? All of these life questions come from this. If my kids don't turn out the way I pictured, will I feel fulfilled? Contentment's hard. But oftentimes I think through to this this part, Psalms 37, it says this. The steps of a man are ordered by the Lord. Who takes delight in his journey. Though he falls, he will not be overwhelmed, for the Lord is holding his hand. I was once young and now am old, yet never have I seen the righteous abandoned or their children begging for bread. Folks, as I'm going through life, there are times where things feel tough, finances feel tight, relationships feel strained. This phrase comes through my head. Hopefully, it's a hope for you as well. The idea that I have never seen the righteous begging for bread. Do you trust that God will provide? That he's going to take care of you? And you're going to be okay? So these are the two things I want to show you. If you're sitting here and you're saying, you know what? Yes, I'm allowing the, the things that I want. I'm, I'm not having enough contentment in my life. I really need to get back on track. I got two steps for you. Step one, embrace openness more than controlledness. That's not a word. I know you're thinking it. Embrace openness as opposed to controlledness. And all the control freaks go, that sounds terrible. I get it. Some things are out of our control. And go with the flow may not be what you're thinking. But what if your posture was to go before God? Your hand, you have your plan, but it's written in pencil. And you go before God, instead of articulating your plan to him, you say, God, what should the plan be? 
God, let's write something together. God, this didn't go out the way I want. Let's turn the page, start over. What if your plans can be interrupted by God and put something even better on your plate? Folks, if I can be honest with you, the, uh, the failed practicum was not a bad thing in my life, though it felt like one. Because it was after this that God gave me the call to ministry. I just didn't know it yet. So God knew that I didn't need a teacher's education. I needed a pastor's education. And he put the things in place to where I would switch majors. I would graduate and jump into ministry. At the time, it hurt. I wasn't content. I didn't know what was happening. But God wrote a different plan. So can you be open as opposed to trying to control the situation? And here's the second thing. Reevaluate if your needs are actually wants. You ever tell that to your kid, right? Parents in the room, you know what I like that the thing they come to you like I need this, you're like, "Oh, you don't need that. That's just a want." Well, we do that as adults too. Teens Kids, don't use that on your parents, okay? But still, we do the same thing. There are things that we've convinced ourselves are really important, really essential. But if we were to pull it back, maybe not so much. If Paul can be content under house arrest, being pent up and say, you know what, not what I planned, but I'm going to start writing letters to people and get the gospel forward from where I'm at. If he can do that, Maybe we can be content in any situation we find ourselves. So the last thing I'm going to leave you with is this. It's the serenity prayer. Maybe you've heard of this. This is a prayer that goes through my mind all of the time. It says this. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Can I say that again? Give me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. That sounds like contentment, doesn't it? The courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Folks, the bottom line is this. There will be things you can change. There, now, God's not saying, hey, I want you to stay stationary and to not do anything and call it contentment. It's not that. But there are things that are going to pop up in your life you can't change. There are things that happen to you that you have no say over. In those situations, you have two choices. You have the path of dismay and being upset. Or you have the path of joy and trusting the Lord. Which path are you going to choose in those moments? So as you're looking over this again, maybe you wrote it down. Maybe that, maybe that blank in the, in the what do I, uh, man, if only I could blank. Maybe that blank has been the thing that has been rattling through your brain. Maybe it's taken up a lot of your time, your heart, your energy. Trying to fix something. What if God's not calling you to fix it? 
What if he's calling you to be okay with it and seek him, how you can serve him in the midst of it? Let me pray for us. So God, I pray that you will show us to be to see you as our sufficiency, to be relying on you and to find true contentment. We just pray that we will chase the right things and the things we can't change, that you'll, you'll give us the grace to overlook and to keep joy and to keep serving you. Pray that we'll desire the things that you desire. We thank you, Lord, for this. It's in your name. Amen.